Hey, this is Pastor Nate Cook, and you're listening to Pontificating Pastors, a podcast where we lock two pastors in a room and just let them talk about anything and everything. My friend Michael Pig is a church planner in San Marcos, Texas, and I'm a traditional church pastor here in Midwest City, Oklahoma. This week, we look at an issue that's often been thought of as taboo for pastors. We look at what happens when the pastor deals with depression. It's definitely not an easy topic, but we think it's one that needs to be heard. So we hope you'll sit back and relax and enjoy this episode of Pontificating Pastors. Hey Michael, how are you doing this week? Doing all right, Nate. How are you? I am doing good. I am uh, enjoying the emptiness so far. And uh, I had this this Sunday, I kind of went off script a little bit. You ever do that in your sermons? Oh, yeah. Our, our launch Sunday here in San Marcos. I may have inferred that uh, I was a polygamist. Because <laughs> <laughs> I tell the story. That, it's not good how, for your marriage. Yeah, how Shelly was, Shelly was kind of pointing out the male and female double standards in our home and she said well if uh if a wife is the one who does all the cooking and cleaning then i need a wife too you know and she just was harassing me with that phrase uh just jokingly and i said that in the sermon and one of the guys came up to me afterwards and he goes yeah i'd never been around nazarenes before so i searched online to see if polygamy was okay in the nazarene church (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's like yeah okay i gotta okay. stay on script man that's, that's right yeah. so How'd i've got go off script well i've gotten to where i i sometimes use a full manuscript because i feel like my thoughts are much more thought out i i, I write more uh well i just use more adjectives and speak um a little a little larger vocabulary like i don't just say very and you know some of the things I say a lot when I'm just kind of spitballing an idea so um so I thought you know having the whole script up there now I do not sit and read it because that would put my people to sleep I've I've read it enough that I know where I'm going but I refer to it here and there and so I remember I I sent you a text about quantum entanglement and uh, you sent me a Richard Rohr video which really actually helped a lot and so I was was talking about this idea of quantum entanglement and how when we see people we love, we actually somehow become connected to them on a molecular level. And, and so I said, basically, I said, you know, when I see Paula, I said, I, there are these, there's this electricity. I said, now some oh, of no. it's, some of it's just purely hormones. And that was in my script. But what wasn't in my script was I said after that, under my breath. Well, I am an empty nester now. So, and I lost the crowd for a moment. Oh, they, no. they just all died <laughs> laughing and they were just like, it was like one of those moments where I'm trying to get them back with me onto the mm-hmm. quantum entanglement, but there's just like little, and then there's some people who are groaning cause it was like TMI, you know? Yeah, so, TMI. Um, and, and then I got this one young person, he's in college now who has a great laugh. His name's Garrett. And you, if you've ever met 
Garrett, his laugh is just like, you know, so I hear him above everybody else. It's like, uh, uh, uh. he has that like really <laughs> drawn out, deliberate, really funny laugh. So yeah. um, he was awarded best laugh in his senior class. But oh, hey. Um, so <laughs> shout out to Garrett. Yeah, so I've got yeah, him laughing. And, uh, and then, you know, I try to work my way back. But to say the least, the empty nest is, has been good for me. Um, and I probably shared more than I should have on Sunday. DM, and so DMI. I DM. saw Paula in Sunday school. And I was like, babe, you know, if no one has approached you yet about what happened, cause she was in kids church about what happened, uh, in the service. Um, they will, they will be contacting you because every time I say something stupid, somebody comes up to her before I can even talk to her. And they're like, Oh, did you hear what your husband said today? And I'm like, yeah, thanks. Appreciate that. Well, as a result of this information, I'll I'll be texting my youngest to see if he's interested in an early graduation. That's right. Yeah. The empty nest, man. It's like second honeymoon. (laughs) Only you're older and wiser. I'm always telling them, why don't y'all get out of here so I can have your mother's attention back? Goodness (laughs) gracious. So, yeah. um, Man. This week, uh, maybe a little bit of a heavy topic, but I felt like we we had a, a little bit of a duty to address um, uh, this this suicide of the pastor in California. I, I know we've all seen in the news. It's been all over Facebook. Uh, you know, a young guy, I think he was around 30, who had kind of the all-American looking family, the wife and three kids, and uh, was pastor of a, a non-denom and, and looked to, to the outward appearance, look like everything's going wonderful. I know he had spoken a little bit about his struggles with depression uh, to his congregation. And so I, I know that was in the background there. But but just talking a little bit about pastors, about pastors and the real life deep issues we deal with and depression and things like that. Uh, I just thought we might throw that out today uh, on this this podcast is about pastors and kind of pulling back the curtain of, of what a pastor's life looks like. So you have any thoughts uh, or you want, you want me to get going first or? Well, you know, you brought that article up and, and was talking about that suicide and I really hadn't heard anything beyond, uh, beyond that. Did you, did you pull out anything that you thought was sickened? in like a reasoning behind it? Was there a note? Was there any of that kind of thing going on? Well, um, from what I read, I mean, it was a, it was a deal where the guy had been dealing with depression and I don't have the article up in front of me. Um, I actually minimized it because we were having some trouble with connection here, but, um, but it was, it was kind of an ongoing depression. Uh, he had shared about, you know, mental health kind of struggles and things. Um, I did read the, there was a letter, from his wife and, you know, kind of, kind of pulled at your heart about, you know, she didn't maybe understand the depth and the, the, how deep the pain and the anxiety and the depression was, sure. was going in his life. And I think that's often the case. Oh, um, well, and we, and culturally we we're still, this is kind of a taboo and even more so in the church uh, because it's, there's this assumption that if, uh, you know, we're still working from that suffering comes from sin kind of mentality, which the Bible doesn't say that suffering only comes from sin, you know, sometimes, right, yeah. you know, it's not even connected. You know, I remember the time where Jesus is asked, well, who sinned this man or his parents? And Jesus says, neither one of them sinned. This is, uh, this is happening so that God can be glorified and then he heals the man. 
Uh, right. So Jesus isn't isn't a subscriber to that idea. But when you subscribe to that idea, then somebody who has mental health issues, um, you know, you got, for whatever reason, we need to connect it to sin. And so uh, then we don't talk about a lot of things, especially private things. If, if they can if they can't be seen, then we don't talk about them because we've been made to feel ashamed of them. And, and depression is definitely one of those. Uh, my mother-in-law is, uh, uh, you know, uh, a wonderful lady and she's got Alzheimer's. And, uh, and there, and it just, her having Alzheimer's has revealed a lot of the taboo that was kind of built into her, uh, by the, by even the faith community, by the church, um, to think that if you're depressed, it's because you haven't prayed hard enough or you haven't, you know, submitted yourself to the Lord enough or that the spirit is not in you or you've done something wrong somehow, or you wouldn't be depressed. Get over it, you know? Uh, right. And I, I think that's, Part of that thing that we've talked about on the show before is uh, many people want their pastor uh, to have a certain image. Um, they want they want to see their pastor as um, kind of this ideal image of what a maybe American human. Um, and so there's a sense in which the pastor may feel the pressure and I I've felt it to, to have it all together in some senses because you're an example to the flock. And, and so things like depression, uh, really battling chemical issues in your, in your brain, uh, are still seen at some points as, is not necessarily a medical problem, but more of a, do I have it all together kind of problem. And so, yeah, we, we definitely tend to bury those things. We definitely tend to run from, even sometimes the the treatments that might help out. Sure, and I think some of that is a reading of uh, the way we read scripture causes us to do that. Um, you might read the the letter that Paul wrote to Timothy and feel like you know Paul is telling Timothy all the places where he needs to have it together and be an example and all those things. Right. Uh, but at the same time, he's also confessing that he himself is the chief of all sinners. We <laughs> tend to ignore yeah. that and right. just go straight to the "you need to have it all together" kind of thing. And, and also, we forget that we're reading an intimate letter between two colleagues, uh, one having led the other to the Lord, um, and we treat it more like curriculum or like a textbook instead of like an intimate letter between two, two men of faith. Um, and so sometimes when we read Scripture, we get to take, because of the way we're reading it, uh, whether out of context or because we're not properly understanding how it was intended, um, we we can take some of those things and we can expect more of one another uh, than than is really feasible, you know. And I, I mean, over the years, my feelings have been hurt uh, by parishioners who you know discovered that I was a human being and were disappointed. Yeah, it's <laughs> <laughs> like I'm sorry. I don't I don't know how not to be a human being. I, would you rather I be some sort of cyborg or some? you know, script. Do you really want me to be a script? Cause I don't know how to be a script. Yeah. And the other thing I I've experienced the same thing and often it's, you know, well, I want my pastor to be a person who blah, 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 blah. And, and, you know, um, so there is a lot of unwritten expectations that parishioners have of their pastor and I think from the leadership side, there's there's a, a fine line between uh, vulnerability and using the pulpit as therapy. And so I think we always want to walk that <laughs> yeah. fine line. Like like you're taught when you're learning how to preach, 
if every sermon is about you and your struggles, um, ultimately, um, that's not the gospel. That's therapy for you as you stand up there. And maybe at that point, you need to seek some professional help uh, where, where the pulpit has become therapy to you. But the other side of it is um, the temptation to become this bastion of truth who has things figured out. And, final uh, words from the yeah, pulpit. Final words. And, and then there's no chink in the armor um, when we all know that none of us really live uh, lives where we have it all together, that all of us have our struggles. And then I think on top of that is still there's a little bit of stigma even in our society um, when it comes to mental health issues. I think that's changing. But we wouldn't say, you know, we wouldn't walk up to the pulpit on Sunday with a broken arm in a, you know, that we had taped up with with tape and, and not gone and gotten a cast, you know, we just put like a, a board on it and, and said, well, you know, I'm, I don't really, I don't really have a broken arm. I mean, <laughs> it just, it just kind of looks like it, you know, like, like yeah. I don't want to seek medical help for this because that would be showing my weakness. Well, when, you know, sometimes when, uh, when you talk about chemical issues in the brain that we need to, we need to regulate those things. We need to seek yeah. the help. We need to take the medication if we, we need the medication. So, and, and we as congregations, we as, as clergy need to exercise a, a level of grace in yeah. the, that makes room for people to feel safe to do that. Um, you know, because imagine if you got up in the pulpit and you said, well, this week while I was talking with my therapist um, and you started telling a story. Right. Half your congregation would probably be like, oh, our pastor has a therapist. Right. You know, yeah. Even even still, that would that would unnerve people. And instead of saying, "Look at this man taking every and making every effort to be healthy," uh, you know, that that's just not permissible. It, it's that boardroom mentality of corporate America, you know, where the CEO has to be has to have it all together and whatnot. And I think that's crumbling a little bit, but but not to the extent that it needs to in order for us to really, you know, not put so much expectation on a single human being um, in the ways that we do. And I think that's part of the problem, you know. I don't know what, what this young man who committed suicide, I don't know what his church looks like, but um, oftentimes, you know, uh, and you and I have talked about this before, where is it, does it make sense for uh, someone to be a full-time staffer who spends their days in the word and in prayer. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's what scripture calls for the, for the elders to do is to spend the time in, in prayer and in the word of God. Right. That's why they stopped waiting tables. That's why they started working full time for the church. Yeah. And I, I think that gets into a good, a good thing. When we start talking about depression, there are definitely different levels. There are people um, who may, may face like the chemical imbalance that really need uh, like medication and things. But then there's also, there's a sense in which sometimes just being that the expectations, the weight of the ministry uh, can pull you to places where um, that may trigger some kind of a more depressed state in you. Like stress definitely affects that. And I think the ministry is a place uh, where we often are given a job description, but then things just keep being added. Uh, you know, there's yeah. there's yeah. a sense in which you want your pastor to be a CEO type who runs the yeah. runs the uh, I don't want to call it a business, but the organization. Yeah. And then you expect your pastor to be a 
you know, a hospice visitor who cares for the uh, the sick and those that are maybe even dying. You expect your pastor to be a, a great teacher of the word. You expect your pastor to be the janitor sometimes. You expect your pastor to be a counselor. Yeah, and, and as you just heap role after role after role, there, there's a reason why many pastors feel inadequate. Many f- pastors feel overwhelmed. Many pastors feel like um, they're always losing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, well, like you just can't quite do enough or be enough right. or yeah. give well, enough. And you're, you're supposed to take the strength finders and your top five is to be all 30 of them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so you're like, okay, I don't have that gift. I don't know how to do that. Right. And then, yeah. You know, uh, then the roasting begins. Well, well why isn't this taken care of? Well, yeah. Because- well, our last pastor, yeah, he <laughs> did this. He visited everybody every day, all the time. Yeah. But he preached recycled sermons. Hey, let's not talk about that. But yeah. he he was always at the hospital. Um, yeah, yeah. That, that causes that comparison game that causes oh, yeah. a great deal of stress. It makes life about performance instead of about relationships, right? Right, I'm just, yeah. Uh, there's, this, there's this episode of, uh, of Parks and Rec. You ever watch Parks and Rec? Oh, yeah. I love Parks and Rec. Love I've Parks seen all Rec. of them. I've seen all of them several times. Andy Dwyer um, is uh, my one of my favorite characters of yeah. all time. Well, there was this this friend uh, who came in. He was a friend of Anne, the nurses, and it, his name was Justin. And he dated Leslie for a while. And Ron Swanson notes when as the end of their relationship, where they're kind of it's kind of dwindling because the the spark has gone out of it. Because Leslie has realized that he is more interested in the story than the person. Right. Um, and Ron, Ron says of him that he is a story collector. He's a, he is a, a tourist in people's lives, only collecting stories. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. And, and uh, you know, w- whenever you make it about performance, you almost force people to be tourists in one another's lives, collecting stories so that you can stand in the, in the prominent place and tell a story of in, that inspires, but not having real permission to be a part of their lives. But once you begin to realize that, there's a lot of disillusionment in some of those institutionalized things uh, for young clergy. Um, and so, if you're if you're someone who is prone to mental uh, to to mental health issues, uh, to some chemical imbalance in the brain, to to depressed states, um, to clinical depression or something like that, then ministry can really help you get to a really bad place in a hurry if 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 those you know places of safety aren't created early on where you can share where you can where you can express yourself where you can lament and i think the church doesn't know how to lament we're very bad at lament i was i was having a conversation with walter brueggemann i like to say i was having a conversation when i was just reading his book you're but, not uh, you're not a marty michelson no, I, I don't. Marty Michelson actually, actually has conversations know, with people like and Walter. I've had conversations Brady. with Marty, so I feel like maybe I've had a conversation. <laughs> well, if you use the uh, transitive property of, uh, <laughs> yes, sorry, my brother is a math major. If you if you took enough Hebrew, you can get there. But um, anyway, I was reading uh, some Walter Brueggemann, and uh, and he says that uh, that lamentation that doesn't get voiced turns to violence. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so lamentation that does get voiced, that finds its voice, turns to energy. 
But that only happens within the context of community. That's not necessarily something that the individual deals with on their own. Right. You can't just for it to turn to energy. It has to be a lamentation that is voiced like a like a Martin Luther King, uh, a lament, a lament that is voiced, heard and responded to by the masses that say, no, we can't let this persist. Right. Turns to the energy to do something about it. Whereas if we keep it quiet, then then bitterness sets in. Um, and, and then there, there's just this institutional anger that begins to grow and there's, there's an enemy and a dichotomy that is created and, and it turns to violence. And so, uh, so I think, you know, within the context of ministry, we, you know, we oftentimes in the pastoral chair, don't feel free to lament properly. It just sounds like complaint just sounds like griping. It sounds like whining. It sounds like brattiness. It sounds like a lot of things, you know, that, that just aren't permitted of someone who is supposed to be a professional. Yeah. And I think the, it goes back to the idea that, um, when, when you're a pastor, there's a lot of question of, and, and this may sound bad, but who can I really trust with this information? Um, because you've, you've had enough experiences where you've, you've kind of let down that guard with parishioners and then it's come back to haunt you at times. Um, and so I think, I think one of the things that I really appreciate are friendships with other pastors like yourself and and some other folks that I, I routinely meet with where we can let that veil down and where we can lament together because some other people may not even understand the struggles. I mean, I know I have had, uh, I, I've dealt in my ministry with, I, I guess what you would call a, a mild form of seasonal depression where every time it starts to get dark. Sure. Um, uh, I'm not saying I can identify with someone who's who's done the full uh, medication, but there's there's definitely an awareness for me that as this season that's about to come upon us comes, it, it seems like I want to quit about every October, November. And uh, oh, yeah. just that realization. Yeah. When the days get shorter, so does my motivation and my attention span and my and my concern for things. I just begin I get gloomy. Yeah, and I've realized that, you know, um, our preacher's retreat uh, here in Oklahoma is always in November. And there have been many years that I go to that thing and it's at a perfect time for me because I'm done, you know, and and I realize a lot of that is um, a uh, personality wise. It's, it's a harder season for me usually every year. Um, And and there have been moments in my ministry. I I mean, if I'm just really honest where I think my wife has been worried uh, about, my my mental health and and I think as a pastor um the only people who really know how deep those things go sometimes are our spouses and then and then like this lady this week uh sometimes they don't even know how deep they go because you want to somewhat protect your family but but I I think for me the the best thing is uh there there's a couple of things that I think have helped in those moments the first thing is acknowledgement in prayer um much of what we do is run from things and hide. And uh, I think being open and honest, not that prayer fixes our, our mental state, but it does 
uh, at some point allow us to be real and be who we are. And then also, I think, yeah, like you're saying, voicing that with someone else, uh, who you love and who you care about. And, uh, you know, I think, I think, uh, being real with, with congregants is also another part, like when they ask you how you're doing and, um, you know, if you have the time to really talk about what's going on in life, um, those are conversations that are, are much more beneficial uh, for a pastor. Because a lot of times you learn from your your parishioners. You learn yeah. from those who have walked walk the road. And uh, maybe they're not dealing with the exact same things you deal with as a pastor, but they also ha- have walked through some some difficult times, some dark times. And uh, they can, they can uh, just walk in solidarity with you, if nothing else. So. My two cents, yeah. Right. Well, I mean, we're told in in Scripture that the suffering that we experience um, is the comfort that we will offer. Yeah. Um, And so, if that's true, then why why are we why are we so withholding with compliments? Why are we so withholding with stories of suffering and how I made it through? Why is our testimony? Why do we think that our testimony has to be so grandiose? in order to get there. That, that's just such a, a lie that we tell ourselves. And I think, you know, I've been, uh, I, and I think it has a lot to do, you know, Jesus calls us to love our neighbor as ourself. And, and if, you, if you don't love yourself, then you're not going to love your neighbor well. If you're down on you, then you're going to be down on your neighbor. If you're, right, you know, yeah. I mean, I, I get that. I walk in the door and I'm not feeling good about me. And my family doesn't get the best me that they can get. Yeah, often they get the lash out and frustration. Yeah. They, no, get, they, they get the worst part of this. Place. Yeah, they yeah. get the worst part. Especially and, your family, yeah, because they're, yeah. they're always there. Yeah, and and you're not afraid they're going to run off, which which unfortunately, because of the CEO mentality sometimes in the pastorate, we have this fear that, oh, I can't run any of the parishioners off. Um, oh, yeah. And then, you, and then you go and you buy something like a building and get an electric bill and a bunch of air conditioners and some and a mortgage, and all of a sudden... I can't run them off because they got to pay these things. Right. And I can't, you know. We have to keep gonna... this thing solu- uh, solvent. <laughs> solvent. I almost said yeah. soluble. I was going back to chemistry days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're going to keep it solvent. So I'm wearing it, my chemistry shirt today. So You are. I noticed. You're wearing yeah. a, a periodic table on your on your chest. Of um, Star Wars elements. So it's two of my nerd things together. Okay. <laughs> Put together in one. There, that's awesome. <laughs> Star Wars periodic table. There's no um, such thing, but it's okay. There's no, yeah. Well, I don't, I don't guess. Are midi chlorines on there somewhere? Oh, they ruined the whole franchise. <laughs> I hope not. The force yeah. is quantum entanglement. <laughs> okay, <laughs> it's not. Let's go back midi chlorines. Yeah. All right. Um, <laughs> what were you that. saying? I was. I don't know where I was going with all that, but I, I just, I just wanted to say, you know. If we're gonna love our, if we're gonna love our neighbor as ourselves, then we kind of we have to appreciate who we are in Christ. I think that's the freedom of the gospel: is that you can appreciate who you are in Christ, that you've been given gifts, that that your that your Father in heaven loves you, that Jesus came all this way to make sure that you knew that He was for you and not against you, um, that He wasn't trying to enforce a bunch of rules on you, but that He was trying to have a relationship with you. And that righteousness did not come through the law, but righteousness came through the relationship. I mean, all these things are very freeing, but it seems like we become practical atheists when it gets right down to it. And we instill a bunch of rules that guide us instead of trusting God uh, to sanctify us, right? I mean, you know, I read an article one time that said 80% or more of our language on a day-to-day basis is spent justifying our actions. Right. Oh, yeah. 
if we were trust if we were trusting in God that He was calling us and He was He was directing us and and that and that we were created in His image and that the things we do are can be good and healthy. If we believe that, then we wouldn't have to spend so much time justifying our actions. We would do the right thing for the right reason, and we would let it justify itself. Yeah, I think for me, the most recent thing that I've done in my spiritual life that is really beginning to shape me is I've really gone back to uh, impetus, uh, emphasizing um, silence. And one of the things about silence is exactly what you're talking about. When you can get to a point where you can sit and believe that you are loved and and that you are valued beyond anything you do because you are God's creation, uh, because God has put stamped his image on you, Mm -hmm. you have worth, you have this God-like thing in you. That's a a scandalous statement. Sometimes people will bristle back and say, no, we don't have any God-like. Yes, well, scripture says you do. (laughs) And, and that, that sin hasn't marred it beyond, like we talked about before, uh, we are not depraved in the sense that we cannot do good. Sin has not marred it beyond recognition. Christ will redeem it, transform it. And so when you can sit in silence and begin to sense those things, there's some things that happen. And one is that you learn, you begin to learn to accept even the ugly sides in your life. Um, Even the things that maybe you're not necessarily um, your weaknesses as well as your strength. Uh, You begin to accept your human frailties. And I think that falls in line with the idea that, that you're willing to, you would even, you know, you'd be willing at that point then to seek out the the medical help, even in depression, um, because you realize that that just as uh, you wouldn't, you know, if you had a low iron deficiency, you wouldn't just ignore that. Um, Ignoring brain chemistry is just as dangerous and damaging to your health. And so I think there's, there's a lot that we have, we still have to do uh, as far as helping people to realize, um, that God loves us as we are and that there are, there are help, there is help, there is um, medication. There are those who are trained therapists um, to, to talk to, to help walk you through these issues. Um, And, and that acknowledging that maybe a need there is not a chink in your armor. It's just part of who we are created, how we're created. And all of us are different and all of us have things um, that we deal with both physically, both mentally and emotionally. You're going to say something about Brendan Manning, and I cut you off there. That's okay. I, um, Brendan Manning says all, all of these things in a in a book called Abba's Child. Oh yeah, he, he talks about the imposter, uh, the false self, and how you can't hate the false self because that's just the false self coming back on itself, right? Hmm. To hate the false self, it's just you have to accept the false self. You have to go. Okay, the me that lives in the shadows and shoots holes in all of the good. And, you know, just, he, and, he, and he asked this question. He tells this little anecdotal story but um, that I won't get into. But he basically says, uh, a father, ask his son, when you, if you imagine that Jesus is right here and you look into his eyes, what do you see? And I think too many times that the answer from a Christian person is disappointment. Yeah, wow. And when you think that... That's harsh and it's true. Yeah, 
But when you think that, and you think, that's not what Jesus thinks of you. That's what you think of you. Right. And you, why are you being so hard? Like I tell my kids, like, Judah will come in from playing, and he'll have a scratch, or he'll have a bump or a bruise. And I'll say, you need to be more careful with my Judah. Right. You know, he that's my boy, and you need to take better care of him. And uh, and say the same thing to Maggie and Jonah as well, but um, especially Jonah, because he just... He is rough on Jonah, and, uh, <laughs> and Maggie is sometimes emotionally rough on Maggie, um, and and so this is something I tell my kids. You know, be be gentler with my child, right? And I think our heavenly Father, I think that's what He's saying. I think if we looked in His eyes, He'd say, "Listen, don't be so hard on you. I love you. Yeah, and I the think great the world of you. The great thing about God is He also has." the motherly and the fatherly instincts sure. because my wife has instincts that I have no clue about in loving <laughs> well, my kids. Come on. Talk about so, it. Yeah. so that God loves you in that perfect way that only a mother and a father and mm-hmm. a perfect mother and a perfect father. Cause many of us have not had great role models in those areas, but Hey, in closing, uh, I know we're kind of wrapping up here, but man, I would just say to anybody, not just pastors, um, I, I lost a dear friend a year after I moved here. He was my NY president of one of my churches, and uh, he committed suicide about a year after I moved. And uh, I would just say that we didn't we didn't know, and uh, that if any of us would have would have known, we'd have we'd have changed the way that we loved him. And mm-hmm. and uh, so if if you are dealing with with difficult things, I would say. Uh, depression, I would say reach out and realize that you're not alone because um, it's, it's, it's horrible being on the other side of this. Um, And, uh, and just, just uh, for you pastors out there, um, I I would say you're doing more good than you know, and uh, God loves you more than you can imagine, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty heavy stuff, but but I think stuff that maybe needed to be said today. If I could borrow from, uh, William Paul Young, um, and the author of The Shack, and just say, uh, I think everybody needs to know that uh, Papa is especially fond of you. Yeah. Well, let's let's wrap it up with that. And I love you and love uh, you your family. And have a great week. And we'll uh, see you again next week. Later. Hey, thanks again for listening to Pontificating Pastors. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes or Anchor or any one of the other platforms. We hope you have a great week.